0: Jelly Schlender. And I'm Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. Coming up, we'll hear how to get your fix from nature in a great book by a local author. It's called The Nature Fix. And we'll talk with nationally bestselling author Gary Taubes about what happens when industry funds science and controls the strings to science. It's not such a sweet story, and it's got some bitter truths. The title of Gary's book, The Case Against Sugar. Welcome to How on Earth, I'm Susan Moran. As you probably know by now, KGNU's in the middle of its spring membership drive. So today we're making Pledge Drive, our headline news in science. And you probably also know that KGNU Science Show is made possible by a group of volunteers who love, and several of us practice, science and journalism. And it's also made possible by our great staff at KGNU and the equipment needed to broadcast. And most of all, it's made possible by you, our listeners. Our funding does not come from industries. It comes from you. And at this time, when more and more science funding may be forced to come from corporations, we're ever more grateful that KGNU is supported by you. And that means we're accountable to you. If you'd like to call and pledge your support, we have two science
1: books for you to choose from. The first book is very upbeat. Uh, Susan, tell us more about
0: this great book. Well, so Gary Taubes will soon explain why we would all be better off not succumbing to a sugar fix whenever we're feeling tired or anxious. So maybe instead, as author Florence Williams argues in a new book, we should step outside and grab a nature fix. And in fact, her new book is called The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. Maeve Conran and I from KGNU interviewed Florence last month on The How on Earth Show, so you can listen to the full interview on our How on Earth Radio website. And uh, there's a really fascinating and central Boulder connection in her book. In fact, Boulder, you could say, sort of inspired her to write the book. She had to move to D.C. when work called Her and her husband there and found herself um, kind of depressed, not being near the trails. So she started to ask, why is it? We know from a lot of books that nature makes you feel good or makes most of us feel good. But why is it? What's the science behind it? It's really fascinating and it takes her all around the world. So the book can be yours, thanks to W.W. Norton and Company for donating five copies to KGNU. If you call in this morning and make a pledge, of at least $60. Call now, please, at 303-449-4885. That's 303-449-4885. We've got several volunteers out there taking the phones. Thank you so much, Donna, Alexi, Sue, Anne, Jennifer, and Kathy for working the phones. So keep them busy. Don't let them eat bagels all morning. And our funding does not come from industries, as you say. As we have said, it comes from you. So thank you so much for pledging your support this morning. So let's listen to a snippet from that conversation with journalist author Florence Williams.
2: Well, I've actually learned to embrace a sort of very broad definition of nature um, because I have learned that even small, very small, even sort of micro bursts or micro doses of nature can be beneficial to us, although I think the benefits, you know, exist sort of along a dose curve, you know, so the more nature, the better. Um, But I really, I like Oscar Wilde's definition, which I ran across, um, which is just this very sort of, um, you know, generous definition, and it's uh, a place where birds fly around uncooked, (laughs) And I think that really speaks to our kind of, you know, affinity for for especially birds and wildlife. Um, And and I actually have a whole chapter on bird song and what that means for us. So it doesn't take a lot of nature to give us a small boost. So
0: I guess bottom line, and you have many different studies, what's the minimum amount (laughs) that does us some good? I mean, we're all busy people, and granted, like you said, Oscar Wilde's definition is what, where birds fly around uncooked. A lot of people <laughs> are living in poverty and in inner cities or elsewhere. But really, for them, probably nature is such a luxury. But what what's the minimum amount that well, does us neurologically, physiologically, some good?
2: Boy, that's a, it's a really hard question, I think. Almost uh. what you're asking is, is sort of a, a medicine question. You know, it's like, is there a, a minimum daily required dose? <laughs> and I think the answer is we don't really know. And another answer, and I'm sorry to be elusive, but another answer is that I think it's very variable and that there are times in our lives when we need greater doses of nature Um, and uh, there are different people who need more nature. Um, Kids, for example, I think really need a lot of nature because it's actually how their brains develop and it's how their neurons grow sort of through exploration and free play. Um, And I, I wonder what happens to kids when we kind of stick them in these, um, you know, four-walled classrooms Hmm. with no windows and kind of make them sit there with a pencil, you know, when they're four and five years old. Um, And I, I do talk about that in the book. I think it's a Um, It's a huge problem. Well, you do talk a lot about that, and you describe the dramatic loss of nature-based exploration in everyday children's lives. And there are some very alarming statistics. American and British children, you say, today spend half as much time outdoors as their parents did. And, in fact, they're spending seven hours a day on screens, and that doesn't even include the time they're at school. That's right. Uh, Another statistic I ran across is that only 10% of teens go outside every day. Um, And, you know, if you're a parent of a teen, (laughs) you can probably relate to that. Um, It seems like technology has kind of stolen their brains. Um, And and I guess, you know, I've had parents come to me and and are very concerned about this, and they're kind of freaking out and feeling guilty, feeling like bad parents. And I've, I've said to them, well, you know, did you take your kids outside a lot when they were little? And do they like being outside? And... Uh, they say, well, yes, you know, they love being outside when they're little. I don't understand why they're just on their phones all the time now. And, and my response to that is kind of like, you know, relax, <laughs> because if you've instilled a love in nature in children early on, I believe that they will come back to it and that it will be a source of comfort um, and, and a source of resilience that you've kind of given them this gift that will last them the rest of their lives.
0: That was Florence Williams talking about her new book, The Nature Fix. You can check out the full interview on our website, howonearthradio.org, under the February 14th show.
1: Well, that was Susan Ran, and she's been talking about how the nature fix can help, and we want to remind you to think of what KGNU means to you, how listening to so many educational inspiring shows, including How on Earth, is a healthy fix. In fact, it's more like a nature fix, and how How on Earth can give you a science fix, whether in the form of interviews with journalist writers like Florence Williams or Gary Taubes, or climate scientists, conservation biologists, water policy, wonks or high school students who have won awards for their STEM projects. This is a time when science, evidence, facts, are all under threat. It feels all the more critical right now that we have a community radio station like KGNU and science shows like How on Earth, bringing you the latest in science, both discovery and policies and politics. It's time to stand up for science. It's time to show how you have been standing up for KGNU or how you'd like to stand up and lend your support for the first time. Whether it's $5 or $500 or $5,000, pledge now and stand up for science and support one of the few science shows in the United States. And if you'd like a copy of The Nature Fix as your gift, call 303-449-4885 or pledge online at kgnu.org. And since it only takes a minute to make a pledge, we'd like to make that minute even more appealing by taking a minute break from talking and share with you an audio gift of having a nature fix. Here's music, and it's about nature. That's music for taking a break, a nature break.
0: You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Susan Moran. With that music, I almost walked out and took a little hike. (laughs) Our next book is about something more sinister than the benefits of getting out in nature. In fact, it's about just how corporate financing can start to corrupt science research until it gives a biased view that's advertised as scientific, even though it's not. In this case, The science in question is nutritional science. And the book is by national best-selling science writer Gary Taubes. Taubes is an investigative journalist who's done rigorous research into one of the areas of science most people take for granted. That's nutritional science. In his new book, The Case Against Sugar, Taubes makes the case for a bitter story. That's nutrition science gone wrong. With sugar industry funding... That basically led even the National Institutes of Health to say that added sugar is not bad for you. Taubes, as usual, has done a lot of
1: research for his new book, The Case Against Sugar. His new book shares some cloak-and-dagger moments, such as the time that a researcher in the Denver metro area discovered a load of documents from the mid-20th century about tooth decay. The document showed how the sugar and processed food industry funded these dental studies and worked with national dental associations to happen to create a body of research that determined that sugar does not cause
0: cavities. Seems like we haven't had cavities in so many years, but does that mean uh, no ice cream, no chocolate? I think that there's some possibilities
1: for having that in limited quantities, but not every day, all the day, all the time. I think that may be what he's leading toward here, not getting rid of sugar, but, you know, Gary Taubes in his book, it's loaded with carefully documented research stories like that, Susan, along with some very well-documented reasons. He argues that it's added sugar consumption, not salt, that leads to high blood pressure, and it's added sugar consumption, not fat, that leads to obesity and diabetes. If you're interested in checking out his argument, we're offering The Case Against Sugar today to listeners who call and pledge the support at the $60 level or more.
0: That's right. Call 303-449-4885, and you can get your sugar fix of sorts. Well, I like to think that KGNU is a healthy sugar fix. <laughs> makes you feel good, makes you feel happy, makes you feel, well, informed and alive and inspired. So you can also... Well, get a copy of either book, Gary Taubes or Florence Williams, for a pledge of at least $60. You can also pledge online at kgnu.org. So up next is Gary Taubes, who was kind enough to agree to an interview when Shelley was visiting in Oakland, California. Well, that's right, Susan. I was in Oakland, California.
1: You know, our ragtag team of volunteers here on The Science Show, we take opportunities whenever we can. And since Gary lives in Oakland, California, I ask if I could meet him there. Usually, Taubes speaks in dignified attire to packed audiences at medical schools or at universities. He's a Harvard guy. He knows how to be that kind of person. Well here, you're going to hear Gary Taubes talking about his book in his kitchen, and he'll even let me get out some of the food from his pantry. He does have kids, and we'll see what he and they eat. Well, let's listen in. Well, Gary Taubes, even today, there is a national policy that is not very concerned about sugar, or do you think things have changed? Have we nationally recognized that high concentrations of sugar might be a problem.
3: Yes, we certainly have. Things over the past 15 years have changed. So, from the 1977 until about 10 years ago, our dietary policy was completely dedicated to getting Americans to eat low-fat diets. So anyone who eats a skinless chicken breast believes that they should be eating a low-fat diet. That's almost the definition of a healthy diet in America. Recently, the past 10 years, we've finally begun to focus on maybe the problem is sugar or a large part of the problem is sugar.
1: Well, what are some examples of institutions who actually warn that sugar is not a good idea? Let's start with the American Pediatric
3: Association. Yeah, I don't actually know what the American Pediatric Association is saying now, but I can imagine.
1: I think that they've said that it's really not a good idea to be giving kids orange juice for breakfast in the school lunch programs.
3: That's a good start. How do they feel about chocolate milk?
1: I'd have to go to a school and look. Why don't you lift up some of these kinds of sugar that you have here in your own home? Do you have any carbohydrates here in your kitchen?
3: Well, sugar is a carbohydrate.
1: Okay, let's back up. Do you have any carbohydrates that just have glucose in them, meaning they're starches without having fructose? Well, I take it back, glucose is a sugar too. Oh gosh, this is complicated.
3: Yeah, and so, when we talk about sugars and it is complicated so for instance when your doctor talks about your blood sugar being high he's talking about glucose which is the primary sugar in your blood when you eat uh, potato or you eat bread or you eat the rice checks in my pantry that's gonna digest in your gut and be absorbed as glucose and your blood sugar is gonna go up when we talk about sugars let me go get the
1: rice checks
3: where are they well they're in a um, bin you can get the Cheerios we can use Cheerios as an example. Nuts. Cheerios, rice checks, life cereal. Oh goodness mm-hmm. gracious.
1: You've got a healthy normal kitchen.
3: Uh pretty much. So. There's even apple juice in the refrigerator.
1: So you were talking about the fact that your Cheerios
3: Cheerios oats mm-hmm. carbohydrate, no sugars, virtually no sweet sugar in Cheerios, um, that's going to break down and be absorbed as glucose. you going to raise your blood sugar and stimulate insulin secretion. This is rice checks, same thing. I give my kids rice checks because it does not have sugar in it. Break down to glucose. Uh, nuts. We're not going to talk about nuts. This is life cereal. Life has, I think, seven grams of sugar per serving. So I give my kids a little bit of life cereal because I am trying not to be... Uh, Food zealot, even though I clearly am. Nuts.
1: Those are cashews that you have in your hand right now?
3: Yeah, that are primarily proteins and fats and a little bit of carbs. Salted, so that they're tasty. Same with almonds. People in my world tend to snack on nuts because we want higher fat, lower carbohydrate snacks. This is how we classically think of sugar. So this sugar is cane sugar. So the classic forms of sugar, cane and beet sugar, are molecules of glucose bonded to molecule of fructose. So It's 50-50 glucose and fructose. It's fructose that makes the sugar sweet. And so it's often known as fruit sugar because it's found in fruit like tangerines or raisins or in greater quantity even in bananas and in lesser quantity not surprisingly in lemons. The reason when I talk about sugars being harmful the idea behind this book and again I'm talking mostly added sugars whether they're white or brown is that fructose molecule is troublesome. That fructose molecule happens to be metabolized in your liver so the glucose goes into your bloodstream and is metabolized in every cell in your body effectively. The fructose is metabolized primarily in your liver and the argument would be we didn't evolve to metabolize the amount of fructose that we have to deal with every day in modern Western diets.
1: Now, Gary Taubes, lift up those bananas again. There are plenty of cultures that have eaten bananas for a long time. Lift up that red pepper that has fructose in it.
3: A little bit of fructose and in lift it. lift
1: up that red onion right there.
3: This one I'm gonna to have to trust you on.
1: I think it tastes a little bit sweet there's a
3: little bit of fructose in everything is
1: there an issue with eating a piece of fruit in terms of having in your mind tip the balance toward people being more prone to chronic diseases such as diabetes well let me
3: ask you a question if you were a diabetic and you wanted to eat this banana how much insulin would you have to take to cover the banana as they say you would have to estimate the carb content of the banana, so you could give yourself a shot of insulin. So now the question is, for at least diabetics, are you better off eating the banana and taking the insulin, or are you better off skipping the banana, eating almonds? With all due respect,
1: if someone was a diabetic, it wouldn't matter whether they were eating a potato that has no fructose in it, or if they're eating a banana that does have fructose in it, or they were drinking a soda. Well, go ahead.
3: You could argue that the banana would be healthier because the fructose does not require insulin secretion.
1: There you go again because there's so much that indicates that fructose, as in bananas, or actually more seriously in pure cane sugar, stimulates the body in a way that messes up metabolism so that there's more insulin resistance which raises insulin
3: levels. So what I'm giving you is a complication. Let me simplify it even further. What we're trying to explain are obesity and diabetes epidemics worldwide. So these epidemics occur whenever a population transitions from their traditional diet, whatever it is, could be a Southeast Asian diet where they eat a lot of rice, or a South Pacific uh, Island diet where they're eating a lot of coconut and fish and breadfruit and pork, or uh, Inuit diet where they're eating a lot of caribou and seal meat or any diet anywhere in the world. I just read an article today about Siberian reindeer herders are getting obese because they're beginning to eat a western diet and then first you see the obesity then you see the diabetes and the question is what is it in that western diet or lifestyle could be sedentary behavior that triggers these epidemics okay and they're terrible epidemics so you see numbers increasing like in the US in the 1840s diabetes was a vanishingly rare disease that a doctor might see once in his lifetime 2017, one 2017, 1 in 11 Americans are diabetic, and there are Native American populations. In the 1930s, physicians did surveys and found no cases of diabetes, and in the 1960s, in some cases, the same physicians were seeing diabetic levels of blood sugar in 1 in 4 adults. So the question is what's triggering these epidemics? That's the very first question. That's a very different question than how should people eat to be healthy or how should even diabetics eat to be healthy or obesity? What we want to do, when you want to prevent an epidemic, the first thing you have to do is identify what the cause is. You know, if we have an epidemic of anything let me see
1: let's say Zika virus
3: well, I was trying to think of what the what the observation was was an increase in babies being born with microencephalopathy, and you have to identify that this is being caused by this virus that's being ca- carried by the vector which is the mosquito and by identifying the vector the mosquito and the virus the the, the Zika virus we can begin to prevent the epidemic and that's the fundamental thing you always want to do and so in this case we want to identify we know what the vector is that's the Western diet and lifestyle the question is what is the agent that the vector is transmitting and the argument is that the prime suspect should clearly be sugar because a it's always at the scene of the crime so you never find an epidemic of obesity and diabetes in a population that doesn't recently transitioned to a high sugar diet, whatever that means.
1: And what you mean by a high sugar diet is one where the sugars are more concentrated than they are in
3: nature. We could call them an added sugar diet, where you're taking refined sugar, cane or beet sugar or since the 1970s high fructose corn syrup and consuming those in large quantities over and above whatever fruit or tubers or green vegetables you might have consumed naturally or even honey that the population might have consumed naturally but they would have been consumed seasonally not all year round it would have been consumed in in effect much lower doses and spread out over a much longer period lower doses that take much longer to digest
1: That was Gary Taubes speaking about his new book, The Case Against Sugar. And, Susan, if that seemed like a little too dense and geeky sometimes, I am sorry. It is a geeky topic, actually, very dense. But that's the reason why you might want to get this book is because it is a study to look at this stuff, and it's fascinating. If you'd like to get the book, The Case Against Sugar, Gary Taubes' new book, we're offering it as a pledge drive premium to people who call and pledge their support.
0: I do need this book. <laughs> Sweet tooth that I have. And we've had several calls this morning who also uh, want this book and want KGNU. I want to first thank Susan for pledging her support during the Amy Goodman program. And then thank you so much, Margaret from Gunbarrel, for becoming a new solar member. That's a sustainer of local radio. She says, KGNU, keep shining into the darkness. And thank you to Steve from Trinidad for renewing your support. He says, definitely like Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman and Jim Hightower. He likes them all. And thank you to VJ from Boulder for becoming a new solar member of KGNU. Vijay says, KGNU is my lifeline to reality. Thank you, VJ, for your support. And thanks to all of you who have called and pledged your support online. We want to hear from you, too. Media is under attack. We need your help to protect community media. Now more than ever, we need your support. So please call 303-449-4885 or go to kgnu.org to make your donation thank you and i want to also thank community cycle in boulder we've got several volunteers this morning who've been working the phones among them well we've got donna alexi sue and jennifer kathy some of them are from community cycles and they sure know the value of a nature fix and how important nature and uh bicycles for that matter are to boulder to the whole broader front range community thank you
1: Thank you to all of you who are volunteering to help us have our pledge drive and also to all of you who are calling to pledge your support. I'm Shelley Schlender, and I can't help it, Susan. I want to play one more little bit of music as we talk. Let me get this one going. This is also music by David Lang, who did the Nature Fix music. This is more ominous music, and it's because I think that right now we are in a somewhat ominous time when it comes to the truth prevailing, and what I hope is that our listeners can be optimistic, even though it's a challenging time right now when it comes to science and truth. It is a time where the belief that truth can prevail, can be a strong, stern force in the world, a strong, stern force. And that is behind writers like Gary Taubes doing books like The Case Against Sugar. If you believe in strong, stern looks at the truth and facts, call us here at 303 303- and pledge your support.
0: That's right. Thank you so much. May truth prevail. There's really no such thing as alternate facts. So uh, we want to thank you. And again, call 303-449-4885. You can call throughout the morning. Hopefully there will be uh, a book or two left for you from Gary Taubes or Florence Williams. And thank you again for joining us. We have
1: just a minute before we go to one of the most popular things that happen in the week and that's Alan Watts and Susan our friend and colleague Joel Parker has often said that he loves the fact that it's science that comes just before Alan Watts because the two do seem to be linked in many ways that that inquiring mind of science and the idea that the truth prevails sometimes comes from the meditation and the joy of looking at spirituality and the thoughts that go into thinking in a broader sense that One way to be unstuck in the world is to have a long view. And both science and Alan Watts can help people take that longer view, which is what we need sometimes to think, how do we get, say, to the next 10,000 years? We may not survive the next 10 months. There's plenty of people who think that. But how do we survive to the next 10,000 years? That may come from things like
0: Alan Watts. And I love that, that there is this connection between science and spirituality. As Einstein and so many others have said, it, it, it is the mystery. And so it is this boundary in between science and mystery that is so brought to us by Alan Watts and has been for decades. And it's one of our favorite shows.
1: It is. It's one of our favorite shows, even us geeky science types. And the mystery right now is, are you feeling like you might call and pledge 303-449-4885?
0: It for this edition of How on Earth, our executive producer is Joel Parker, and Shelley Schlender here produced the show, and it was engineered also by Shelley Schlender. And you can visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Shelley Schlender.